What has the government delivered? Who? Yes, I stand by the statement. Flushies! Who made that noise? He let out a little squeak. Oh, order, order. Point of order, Mr Speaker. It's a supplementary. Uh, my uh, question. Supplementary question. Hello and welcome to Supplementary Question, a politics and current affairs podcast produced by News Hub Nation. I'm your host, digital editor Finn Hogan. Each episode, I'll be asking a new question and finding the most interesting people to help me answer it. In this inaugural episode, I asked a fairly open one. Is our most important transparency law no longer fit for purpose? Good evening. Judith Collins has accused the... If you've spent any amount of time watching the news, you've probably heard an explosive story start something like this. And documents obtained by News Hub Nation show the trial... While imagining how reporters came by these documents, you might be picturing an abandoned car park, a shadowy figure saying something like... Follow the money. We mean, just follow the money. The truth is, simultaneously, a lot more complicated and a lot more mundane. The journalist probably obtained the documents by, well, asking for them. That's right. If you've ever wished you could force the government to tell you what they're up to, you're actually in luck. They're legally obliged to tell you, under the Official Information Act of 1982, or the OIA. From the Prime Minister's office... A warm, uh, kia katoa. ...to police... ...down to your local school. All records of official business conducted by the government are yours to view by right. Same goes for your local council. This is not just a tool for hungry journalists, though. This is a tool for any taxpayer who wants to know what is being done with their money and done in their name. It's one of the principal ways our democracy is kept transparent. Transparency and openness is the middle name of this government. Ever wondered what advice the government received about how exactly they'd lower our prison population? We did. That's the sound of all 600 pages of it hitting a table. Ever wondered if anyone watched porn on a government account? Our press gallery team did, and the results were, well, listen for yourself. The website hosting pictures of genitals was directly accessed seven times this year, live sex chats more than a dozen times. A dominatrix called Booted Ray's website was directly visited. He specialises in bondage and dirty, stinky, smelly sock fetishes. The information can be as technical or as everyday as you please. Have you ever wondered how much the beehive spent on chairs in 2018? Well, we haven't asked that, but the point is you could. Just pop off an email to the relevant ministry or official body and say the magic words, I request the following information under the Official Information Act. You don't actually have to invoke the act, but it can help clarify. Then, within 20 business days, the relevant department will get back to you with the records you requested. Simple as that. Case closed. Podcast over. On your way. Go unravel some parliamentary secrets. Except, of course, things aren't that simple. A quick walk around the newsroom will reveal a litany of frustrations with the OIA. News Hub journalist Lisette Raymond. Sometimes they're super short because they don't really want to give you that many details. News Hub journalist Mitch McCann. A lot of the time you're not really getting what you want because you're not specific enough about what you ask for. News Hub journalist Michael Moore. What regularly occurs is you wait 20 working days and then you get a response saying that your request is too broad. You've really got to be quite specific with that. Some days you just get an OIA back after waiting for it for months and it will just be fully redacted with no information. 
Because there are many clauses in the Act allowing departments to outright deny requests or at least redact information released. These range from the specific and relatively uncontroversial, such as if releasing the information would interfere with a criminal investigation, to the slightly more subjective, such as protecting a minister's right to the frank and open expression of opinion. All these factors combined mean by the time you do receive your documents, could just look like a big black blob. Pages and pages of big black blobs. And that's when you're lucky enough to get it back, because while 20 days is the theoretical maximum an OIA should take to come back, that's frequently not the reality. The OIA keeps getting um, delayed, 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 delayed. I submitted an OIA on the 21st of January and I'm still waiting for it back coming up seven months. You know, you will make a very reasonable, specific request. You'll wait 20 working days and the most common response I will get back is that you have requested quite a large volume of information, Um, we're going to have to extend this request. I cannot recall a time where I have filed an official information at request and I probably file one a week for it's come back on time with a thorough response. And journalists aren't the only people frustrated by the act. Through my career as an opposition MP, you've certainly got the sense that uh, any reason for delay that could be trumped up was used to to prevent information being provided to you on a timely basis. That's Justice Minister Andrew Little, who has recently committed to rewriting the OIA and modernising it for 2020. Labour as a party recognises that the legislation is long overdue for a, a significant review and rewrite, and that's a 1982 piece of legislation coming up to 40 years old. So what does a modern act look like? Who is in charge of actually making sure the OIA is working properly? We'll get into both of those in just a second. But first, a very quick two-minute history lesson. How did we get here? The OIA was created in 1982 to replace the much more impressive-sounding Official Secrets Act of 1951 and represented a radical transformation in the government's attitude to information. The Secrets Act was written in the paranoid Cold War years where the Soviet spectre loomed large and where secrecy in government was considered a necessity, even a virtue. If a person consistently reads and advocates the views expressed in a communist publication, he may be a communist. The Secrets Act itself was modelled on an even older piece of British legislation from 1911. Basically, it said all government employees must keep secret everything that came across their desk. Here's Jack Nicholson to summarise the prevailing attitude of the state at that time. You can't handle the truth! But as societal attitudes shifted in the following decades, there was increasingly vocal opposition to opaque government. And finally, our own government was forced to respond, and the official Information Act was born. Well, I've been cast as a kind of villain for a long time now. Yes, perhaps unsurprisingly, the Prime Minister at the time, Muldoon, wasn't a huge fan of the move towards open government, dismissing the act as a nine-day wonder, but it was still passed and signed into law July 1st, 1983. But 1983 was a long time ago, and the act is showing its age. One day we will all be connected to the Internet. This act was passed before the word Internet was mentioned, and so there's nothing in here really to take advantage of it. That's Andrew Eccleston, open government advocate and one of the fiercest campaigners for OIA reform in New Zealand. To be clear, he thinks the OIA got a lot right when it comes to government transparency. Particularly when compared to our mates across the ditch, whose secrecy laws used to be notoriously flexible. Queensland's law used to, before it was reformed, have something which was joked as being the tea trolley exemption, where in order to hide a document from being disclosed, 
they would pile up the documents on the tea trolley, wheel it into the cabinet room. If the ministers in the cabinet room would say, "Oh, we've noted all those documents," and then they'd claim cabinet secrecy. Eggleston knows more than most about the act because he was once one of the people in charge of enforcing it. I spent twelve years at the ombudsman's office here, helping investigate complaints. Andrew learned a lot during his time at the ombudsman's office, but somewhat ironically, can't actually speak to a lot of it. Anybody who works for the ombudsman has to swear a secrecy oath before they start, and that secrecy oath restricts me from being very specific. It doesn't just restrict what I can say about individual complaints, which I think is proper, but it also restricts me from talking about anything to do with the operation of the ombudsman's office, and I don't think that's appropriate in a modern democracy. One thing Andrew can speak to is how he thinks the OIA process can be too convoluted and inconsistent. There was significant underfunding of training in government agencies, so many officials really weren't properly trained on how to apply the law. There were some agencies that had really far too many levels of sign-out required. So a request would go in, so as it were, the front door, and that person would allocate it to the subject matter expert, and the subject matter expert has to check with their manager. Then it's got to go to the legal team, and if the request has come from a journalist, it's also got to go to the media team. With so many hoops to jump through, it's no wonder delays are frequent. But of course, the real issue is when information could be potentially damaging to a politician, and there is strong incentive to keep it hidden. The law sets up what looks like a nice, neutral, rational mechanism for getting information decisions decided and complained about. But the problem is that that law then immediately starts operating in a very political environment because control over the flow of information is inherently about the exercise of political power. So you set up your nice and rational, neutral mechanism, and then it goes smack bang into the realities of a minister or a mayor, a local council mayor, going. Uh, that's really inconvenient to have that out right now. Actually, do you think you can find some way to delay that? So who's in charge of making sure this doesn't happen? To be frank, we need to tell agencies off every so often. Judge Peter Bosher is the chief ombudsman and the man ultimately in charge of OIA complaints and ensuring the law is working as it should. There is really a conflict. What journalists are wanting is something out quickly. On the one hand, the problem is it takes time. I've got to go through a process to make sure that I do it in a correct way. There is, as you'll see, an immeasurable tension. News Hub journalist Lisette Raymond. I once submitted an OIA waited for the extension for it to come back, only to be told that there'd been a technical malfunction uh, at the organisation and it would be too difficult for them to find the information manually. So what can be done? The general consensus, both inside and out of Parliament, is that there should be a move towards proactive release of information, meaning that as much official information as possible should automatically be published as a matter of course, theoretically eliminating the need for requesting information at all. Our current legislation doesn't easily accommodate or facilitate proactive release, so we do need to make some changes to, I think, better signal the assumption that information will be disclosed, unless there's a good reason not to. But as Eccleston will tell you. Proactive release is not a silver bullet. The government can say, "Oh, we're going to proactively publish all this information," 
It's just that we'll do it on a Friday afternoon and you're all about to go down to the pub. And in fact, there were very loud complaints during lockdown. This is what the government had done with the first batch of cabinet papers that it uploaded to COVID website. Ultimately, a Friday document dump with zero accountability. A prime minister gagging her ministers and all of this from a government that pays lip service to being open and transparent when really this is about as cynical as it gets. Journalists were screaming and they said, you've done this deliberately in order to avoid scrutiny. Another concern is that while we've had a commitment to rewrite the Act, we've actually had very little clarity about what that could look like. I'm concerned it's taken this long when the government has had a commitment since the end of 2018 simply to consider whether or not to initiate a review of the law. The government did ask for public consultation on whether it should rewrite the law last year, but has yet to publish the analysis of those submissions. And Eccleston worries that an extremely significant rewrite of our openness laws will happen behind closed doors. Quite often, government will turn around and say, well, we've introduced a bill to Parliament. People can make submissions to a select committee, and that's the opportunity for external review of our law. But the problem is that's not effective. The experience of many people, that when they make oral submissions to a select committee, they'll, they'll have their five minutes to speak, and the MP say, thanks very much, and there's no questions. The real problem of trying to get the law improved when it's already in front of Parliament is that the government's already taken its big policy decisions about what it wants to do, And it doesn't want the political embarrassment of changing its mind midway through the process. So where does this leave us? Well, Andrew Little has committed to rewrite the Act if Labour's elected, and based on current polling, that's a very distinct possibility. But another worry of Eccleston's is what kind of reform we're going to get the longer this government is in power. You get reforms of OIA laws that are much more strongly in favour of openness from governments that are newly back in office after a long term in opposition, for example. You know, they've spent a long time having their own OIA request refused, getting frustrated about how it doesn't help them hold government to account. This will be the most open, most transparent government that New Zealand has ever had. So they go, yeah, absolutely, we need to fix this because the next time when we're in opposition again, we're going to want those strong rights. And for anyone still thinking, well, all this is interesting, but only really a problem for journalists, remember this law is the principal way our democracy is kept transparent. And right now, all we know are that plans are in motion to completely rewrite it, and we still don't know how. The OIA is an issue for all of us because it's about things like is the water out of our taps safe to drink? Has our hospital got asbestos in the walls? Are our roads safe to drive on? The OIA is about consumer safety and uh, public health as much as it is about defence policy. It's, it's a law that is about everybody's society and culture that we live in here in New Zealand. Supplementary Question was brought to you by News Hub Nation with help from the New Zealand On Air Platinum Fund. Check out the News Hub Nation page at newshub.co.nz for more of our content and listen to our full show and podcast form each week.